Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my pal, Brock. Brock, it looks like you have invested in a razor since I last saw you. You know, I I knew I wasn't going to be able to hop on here without you saying something. Um, (laughs) But the reason I did this was because it was starting to grow in pretty nasty. Uh, It was was looking weird. I did something weird with it. I was trying to sculpt it. Uh, and, and I don't have that kind of hand. I don't see lines like that like barbers do. Uh, so I figured it was just the best case scenario, a business decision for me to get rid of the uh, com- facial hair completely and, and start from scratch. So that's where we are right now. I, it, it, smooth as a baby. As smooth as a baby. Yeah, it, it looks like I lost three or four years. That's what my friends were telling me when I showed you. You're 17 or 18 now. Yeah, so, that's a little problematic, but um, yeah. this hair will grow back. Yeah. So we have a lot to talk about. Since we last talked, the Sixers won one game, and they lost, I believe, two. Mm-hmm. They beat the Kings in their house on uh, on Tuesday. The Tuesday? Yeah, it was Tuesday, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Tuesday. And Thursday, they 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 lose to the Blazers on a tough game. Then they. Um, lose to the Suns on Saturday. Um, and so we'll go into those games. Also going to discuss some trades today. So let's start off with the Kings game. Um, I got to tell you, I cannot tolerate those late nights anymore. I mean, the, I mean, I can if, it's a, if I don't have to work at 8.30 in the morning the next day. But those 10 o'clock, 10.30 starts are brutal for someone in the working world. I definitely agree, and the editing process for me doesn't start until the games end. So when I put these breakdowns out, you got to think, if it's a 10 o'clock start and the game's two and a half hours, three hours, I'm not getting started the editing process until at least 1 a.m. So then I'm working from 1 a.m. on, and I try to have the videos out early. So uh, the 10 o'clock starts can definitely go. I don't like them, you don't like them, and that's just because we work. But if we had the luxury of sitting back and chilling in bed, uh, cracking something or, or lighting something and watching the game at 10 o'clock, I wouldn't mind. But lighting something, <laughs> like you said, we're working people, so we, we don't really have that luxury. Um, but nonetheless, I think Philadelphia's had a pretty good road trip. Uh, now, one and two so far on the road, obviously, isn't encouraging. 
But the reason I say they've had a good road trip is because there's no concerns about their offense, in my opinion. I think their offense has looked good throughout the entire road trip. While it's been stagnant, there's been less passes. The three-point attempts are definitely not where you'd like them to be. I think they've gotten and generated the looks and the number of advantages that they've wanted all game every season, or, or I should say every game all season. Um, and, and, and defensively, that's where I think the concerns are on this road trip. They've got to tighten up their interior, their perimeter defense has looked a little suspect. Teams are taking advantage of the drop coverage and the pick and roll situation. So on this road trip, I think their defense is definitely something you look at that you like to improve. But offensively, I think they've been just fine. So I think the starting unit has been fine offensively. Mm -hmm. I think the second unit has been putrid offensively. Uh, And, you know, we'll get into that more, but – uh, one thing that I am beginning to notice with them, especially um, on the road, I guess, is they go through these lulls in the second quarters of games. Like they'll, they'll, they'll jump out to like an early 11, 12 point lead, um, or you know maybe not even that high, but maybe as high as eight points. But they'll 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 get up, they'll get themselves in a position where they're clearly the ones that are standing up straight in this game. And then by the second quarter, by the time the second rotation of Embiid and Simmons comes back in, they're down on the ground too, or they're tied mm-hmm. up. <clears throat> so they go through these lulls, and then the game on uh, like the game on Saturday, I believe they fell down a couple points in the fir- in the second quarter. I remember against the Kings, they were they were up by fourteen, and they were down by seven middle of the second quarter. Um, the Blazers game was kind of similar. So you used to be that like the third quarter was the dot was the death quarter for the Sixers. Now this year it's the second quarter. The good news is that they're, they've become a fourth quarter team where they can sort of come back and fight and, and win games that way. But it would be just nice to put for them to put together a series of games where they're knocking you out by the second quarter. And then they're, they're not letting you back up. They're, they're content. They're continuing to keep you down and, and, push the game out of reach. They haven't had like too many blowout victories this year, really. Yeah. And I mean, they got their fourth straight road win against Sacramento and Philadelphia has been much better on the road this season in comparison to last year. I believe they're only five wins away from surpassing their total last year in what a 65, 70 game season before COVID uh, on pace for 72 games this year. Uh, So it's definitely encouraging to see that, there's a willingness to adjust. There's more focus. There's more urgency for the Sixers on the road. But what I'm seeing this season, and to your point, in the fourth quarter specifically, is the Sixers just shutting shit down, like locking in and shutting things down. Now, not so much on this road trip, and I'd argue that in the Phoenix game, it wasn't the loss, wasn't the fault of Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, or Joel Embiid. It was the bench predominantly, and we'll talk about that. But uh, heading into this road trip, Philadelphia had some great numbers and even uh, three games into this road trip, four games into this road trip, they're still in really good shape. So they've had a lead at halftime in 12 games this season. In those 12 games, they're 11 and one, 14 and three with a lead after the first quarter. So what's that? What was the one? The one what? The one loss where they let it halftime until they lost the game. Um, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know off the top of my head. 
I know I know the three with the lead after the first quarter. One of them was against Atlanta, and one was against Memphis. So uh, that that would be without Tobias, Seth, Shake, Ben, and the one against Memphis without Joe. But there was one game I could tell you right now, actually, where they had the lead at halftime. At Denver? Uh, no, it wouldn't have been Denver. Um, it might have actually been the Portland game. It was. So they were 11-0. and Yeah, by three at halftime. They were 11-0 and in all 11 games with a lead at halftime up until this road trip. And then the Portland game, they had a lead at halftime, and they ended up losing. So that was the one loss uh, where they've had a lead at halftime. But ultimately – uh, they, they've been good when they've gotten out to leads early. And the reason is because they're able to establish their positioning and impose their will. Now, a game like Phoenix is a great example of what happens if Philadelphia can't impose their will early or if there's a team that can combat that. So if you look at like the small ball era with, with the Houston Rockets, the way that team was going to be able to compete with a Lakers team, for example, which has AD and LeBron, who they're going to try to impose their will, is to just shoot. Shoot the three ball early and and just beat the other team with a three ball early. That way you're imposing your will. Uh, in a similar way, the Sixers are doing that early against teams, but not with shooting the three ball, with getting their bigs on the block, their playmakers in a space. And that way they can just pivot and have these looks the entire night. So there's that. They've gone 11-1 and one with a lead at halftime. But also defensively, the fourth quarter has been huge for Philadelphia. You've got Boston, Brooklyn, Miami, Detroit, Indiana, the Knicks, Toronto, to name a few, who all had fourth quarters against Philly with four, five, six turnovers and less than three three-pointers made. So altogether, this team is shutting. They're shutting down in the fourth quarter, and they're taking leads early and capitalizing on them. So you can say, yeah, the, the Sixers haven't played anybody that good. They haven't played teams over 500, whatever. You can only play who's in front of you. And with what's in front of them, Philly – is handling business, and, and they hadn't really been doing that in two, three years past. Uh, so I, I'm pretty encouraged with what I've seen so far out of the Sixers despite two losses on the road. Yeah, I, I, I listen, I mean, the title of the podcast is going to be the Sixers are in first place. People are upset. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, they, they fell from first place to first place, and everybody wants to lose their mind. Meanwhile, you've got uh, – Brooklyn giving up 160 points a night, losing games in a row after they make trades for Harden. You've got Boston losing to uh, Detroit. Miami's falling apart right now. Milwaukee, they've had some bad losses. So losing is normal. It's a 72-game season. It's a marathon. Yeah, and, you know, like a lot of people keep saying to me, like, they're not that good. They're not this. They're not that. And then I'll retort back, like, okay, maybe they're not, but – which team out there is really like scare scaring you? Like the the Celtics just lost by twenty five to the Wizards. The Bucks lost to the to the Thunder last night. Like there's a lot of randomness to this season where teams that are that are losing games they shouldn't lose. Um, and so like no one in the East really is is that scary except for maybe the Nets. But even they aren't blowing teams away right now. Um, I mean. I you know I, I tend to think that they probably aren't that great. The Sixers they're not they're not a good they're just not a great team. They're not they're not they, nothing about this team says like this is like some special team. The Sixers? Yeah, I, I just don't see wow. it. I, I, wow. Now, 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 here's the thing. I don't know that I think any team is that is that special team. Maybe maybe the Lakers maybe. 
I don't think it's the Clippers. I don't think I, I really don't think it's the Jazz. I I think the Sixers are probably right now the best team in the East. I think they probably are. Um, but I, like my 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 concern is this, and I'll tell you what. Like after the losses, like you might have a sour taste in your mouth after the losses, but it should kind of like alleviate a little bit when you see the like, the, like okay, the the Heat or the Celtics or the uh, or the uh, the Bucks or the whomevers lost also that night. So really the Sixers didn't fall back on their lead any at all. It's still a two game lead up on the East. But you know, I think part of it is like maybe in my time focusing on the Sixers, I've never really seen them advance past game. Like the best they've done was a game seven in the second round. And that was that. So I mean maybe because I haven't seen it in my lifetime or in my time focusing on the team that I've never get past that point. But right now I just sort of like they won the Sacramento game. That's great. They came alive in the fourth quarter. They put the clamps down and they won that game when they, when they could have very, very easily have lost it. And they executed really well down the stretch in that game. But um, the Blazers game, I thought kind of underscored a, a concern that I have. And the Suns game did a lot more of that as well. Like, even if they're on paper, a better match, like, even if they're on paper, like a really good matchup, for a you know a lot of these teams, like even if you even if they are star heavy with Embiid and Simmons and whoever, um, I still there there are teams such as the Suns, such as I think the Nets, Celtics that once you get past that tertiary wing, I I don't I'm not I'm not too thrilled about any of the matchups. On, like, like between like Danny Green and J- and on Jason Tatum or Danny Green on Kemba, I, I don't like that. Um, Seth Curry on Jalen Brown, I don't. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like a good matchup. Um, same thing with like on paper, they should be able to smoke the Suns because they they're essentially very top heavy. They have you know good, a good starting five. The Suns have Mikael Bridges who can who can have his way against Danny Green. Um, and Seth Curry, they have Cameron Johnson, they have Jay Crowder. There are a lot of teams that can sort of feast on the weak links and the Sixers' defensive lineup. I think if they had one more like really high-level plus defender, I'd feel a lot differently about them. And I'm still high on them. Like I still think that they're the best team in the East right now. I, I just think that they have some pretty significant holes. Well, that's normal. There's no team without holes. I think the Lakers is the closest thing to a team without holes, but even Los Angeles has some holes, and they're battling with some fatigue issues right now. I know they're pretty hot, but they had a real short turnaround, and I'm hoping Anthony Davis is okay, uh, but they've had some fatigue issues, and, and they've kept teams in ball games when they really shouldn't have, and I think the same is applicable for Philly. If you're going to look at the 28th, 29th winner loss of the season – under a microscope, of course, there's going to be problems. It's like you're only as strong as your weakest link. And if teams are going to attack Danny Green, if each one more is going to go get 13, if Devin Booker's going to get 15 points in the paint, like, yeah, it's not going to look great. And the problem with Philadelphia's game against Phoenix was that there was way too much dribble penetration early. And Phoenix just got into a rhythm. They got whatever they wanted. So they were able to combat Philly trying to impose their will with the bully ball with Joe, with Ben, with Tobias with just throwing punches back and getting points in the paint and producing that way. Ultimately, that game came down to the bench. It wasn't Ben's fault. It wasn't Joe's fault. It wasn't Tobias's fault. 
Ben had 16 at half. He's been getting busy early. He kind of played that floor game in the second half, tried to involve his teammates. They only hit two threes at halftime. Ironically, Phoenix, they only hit two threes at halftime. There was no rebounding advantage for Phoenix that they could have capitalized on. There was no points off of turnovers advantage for Phoenix. There was no real fast break points or second chance points advantage. Phoenix scored almost 50% of their points in the paint. And the bench for Phoenix scored 47 points. Not in garbage time. Philly's bench scored 15. That's the game right there. In the second half, three bench players come in off the second unit and they play the next eight minutes. So now when Ben and Tobias come back in in the fourth quarter to play with Joe and it's time to close the game out, they're not trailing by two, three, four points. They're down 10 because the bench extended a deficit. In the first half, the bench blew blew a lead that the starters gave them. So uh, you're, you're only as strong as your weakest link, and that shows on nights like this. But I'm not selling my stock on Philadelphia. Uh, I, I saw people – I went on DJ Eastwood's YouTube channel and did a, a video with him. And people are calling me a, a Pazodelphian or something like that, where I have like – I like it. Yeah, I, I just have way too much positivity. But I, I genuinely believe that this Sixers team is dangerous. It's a dangerous squad. I mean, you've got a guy in Joe who can get to the line 10 times a game. And I think Philly is like 10-1. and, one, uh, and that's, and that's on like a down night, by the way. Uh, right? On a down night. So I think Philly's like 10-1, and 11-1 and one in games where Embiid goes to the line. 10 or more times. Why? Because if you're sending a guy to the line that many times, it means he's getting what he wants. He's either getting in a spot he wants where you have to foul him, or he, he may not be putting the ball in the basket, but his presence alone is forcing a mismatch. The teams are fouling him. So you've got that guy in Joe who's an MVP right now. You can say it's LeBron. You can say it's Jokic. You can say it's Embiid. I don't care. They're all deserving. Joel Embiid is an MVP. He's got butter from the mid-range, the best jump shot from the mid-range by field goal percentage in the NBA, and it's gotten to the point where anything within 18 feet belongs to him. You've got that guy. You've got Ben Simmons, who leads the league in assisted three-point makes, one of the best players at facilitating and involving his teammates. And you've got Tobias, who's a 6'8", three-level scorer that can score at any level, and his game is predicated upon attacking these mismatches. So as long as Philly keeps breaking the game down, and creating these number advantages where they'll get two, three shooters to one defender, they're going to be able to trade punches the entire game. They can compete with anybody. Their five can compete with anybody. It's about the subtle upgrades. So to take the Sixers from where they are right now, which would maybe be Eastern Conference Finals or a Finals berth, to take them from that to a team that you're confident would win the Finals is to make subtle upgrades. It's not taking Tobias out of this system and replacing it with somebody like Laurie Markkinen. And, oh, yeah, I hear that. Yeah. And, and, and just throwing someone in there. But you've got a team right now that's top five in points in transition, top ten in pick-and-roll ball handler points compared to bottom three in each season since 2015, and they've got the most free-throw attempts and personal fouls drawn in the league. So the system works. Joe is an MVP, and he can play with Ben. Tobias, a perfect complement to the three of them. And the Sixers aren't trading Seth Curry either because in terms of gravity and, and floor spacing, you can't get any better than Seth Curry. You, you can only make other additions that are like him. So those four can compete with anybody. Danny Green involved too. But the problem is you need more consistent shooting. You need somebody where three, four times a game, you know they're going to knock a three down. Somebody off the bench where they come in, you know you're getting four buckets out of them on any given night. 
So if they make subtle upgrades, I think that takes them from a team that's maybe ECF finals or finals berth to, okay, this team has a legitimate chance to beating the Lakers, to beating the Bucks, to beating the Nets if it came down to a seven-game series. Yeah, so like, I think – well, number one, I think it's problematic that Seth Curry has made fewer threes than now Horford has this season. I, I think that's a, I think that's a bit of a problem. Uh, put it in the context, though. And I, and I expect him to to sort of recover and 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 figure that out and get his footing back. But the, their the three point volume isn't any is really not any better than it was last season, and their percentage I think is actually lower than it was last season. So they got to get back to those. They got to get back to moving the ball more on the perimeter and swinging those passes a little bit and getting those open looks. But I, I the last two games, you know, I, I think Shake goes down in the, in the, in the Kings game and he hurts the ankle um, and Doc says he probably won't play the rest of the road trip. That I think that Blazers game was very winnable and probably would have been won if they had had Shake. Just if Shake was in there to sort of mix in with, with, with the, with the bench unit, I mean, they wouldn't have gotten outscored. What was it, forty-nine twenty? I mean, I think that would have made a huge difference in that game. Um, the Phoenix game, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's probably a little more, a little bit closer, and maybe down the stretch they play a little bit differently. But I, I still, I, I tend to think that that was just a, a tough opponent for them, a tough matchup for them. But um, the Sacramento game, I thought was a was a really good game for them. That Kings team is really, I think, improved. In a lot of ways, they they, they tend to they tend to move the ball fairly well. They they defend better um, than they had, and they really push pace. And that pace is a killer. They really fly, uh, especially De'Aaron Fox. That kid's a stud. Yeah. Uh, he's awesome. Now let's go over to the to the Portland game to be specific here, uh, Brock. Before we go over the Portland game, I believe you have a couple of words from our sponsors. Yes, I most definitely do. So if you like shotgunning beer, you need to check my guys out over at the King Cobra. If you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties, make sure to check them out on Instagram, a couple of platforms. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller vent puncher and all fits on a keychain. It can do everything for you. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on IG at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra, as always, is spelled with a K for a 10% discount code on all products. Enter Trust the Cobra 10, all caps, one word. That's Trust the Cobra 10. Pick yours up today. Austin and I, we both have ours. So if you want to be like your two favorite podcast hosts, make sure to grab yours today. Well done. Well done. That was, that was, that was a very well executed. Very good job. Appreciate um, you. So let's go over to the Portland game. And yeah. I thought they actually played Portland pretty well through like Two and a half quarters, maybe mm-hmm. three and a half quarters. That that um, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you that. Did you notice that the Wi-Fi signal just came on on here? Oh, What's it's up? unstable. If you're on Wi-Fi, plugging into your router, I'm moving closer. I, for the first time ever, I just noticed that the Wi-Fi icon has popped up next to the uh, the, the the stream time. It says connection is unstable. If you're on Wi-Fi, try plugging into your router, moving closer to it. We'll be all right. Um, you're and, trying to tell you something. So, 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 got distracted there for a second. Uh, that Blazers team came out hot, shooting. You know, they, they hit a ton of threes early in that game. Dame got hot early. Um, I, I, th- I think. I um, think. 
what is his name? Gary Trent Jr.'s tough as they come. Um, I, the Sixers, I thought, I thought actually made some really good contests in that game. The Blazers hit some impo- hit some really tough shots. They were shooting from deep. They were shooting with hands in their face. And to their credit, they just made shots. And that, that Blazers team is a good team. They're 16 and 10 now. Um, but that was a very winnable game. Uh, they, they don't have a ton of size, although Ennis Cantor is just a killer on the offensive glass. Um, the Blazers also don't play a ton of defense. That was a good. Thought that would have been a good game for Tobias to crank it up a little bit from downtown. He's definitely faded away from threes recently. He's only attempt, attempting. I believe he's attempting like I would say four point two per game. He was at four point seven a couple weeks ago. Now he's at four point two. His career high is five. Um, and that four, that estimate just it's just a guess. I don't, I really don't know. Could be could be higher than that, but um, he definitely seems like he's sort of. Walked away from the threes a little bit, but I'll tell you, Mello got going late in that game. I mean, and I was thinking to myself, like, that's just just vintage Mello. What can you do sometimes? He was cooking Tobias, absolutely roasting him. Um, Mid range, it was it was it was cash money from deep. It was cash money. He even hit that like fading or that fading shot out of bounds as he banked it in. It, it was just prime Mello. It was a it was a flashback to like the Nuggets days and the Knicks days, you know. That was that was three to the three to the dome mellow from the garden, and yeah, right. the player has the hot hand like that. It's tough to stop him. Uh, the Sixers' fourth quarter defense was a little tough in that game, and uh, they could have used a punch off the bench. But the reason why I'm not worried about Philadelphia's offense is because they continue to generate these looks and they continue to create these number advantages in which they can take advantage of. Uh, so w- when you think about what the Sixers' approach is. It's bully ball. I think Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers both mutually agree that the roster they have is compatible with that style of play. They're not a running gun team, even though they're so good in transition. It's more of establish your big on the block. Put your 6'10 forward who plays point from his position and draws point guards defensively on the block. Put Tobias on the block. If they're not on the block, spread the floor out. Use Danny Green, Seth Curry, or maybe Joe, where Tobias is shooting gravity to spread the floor out so then these guys can just get one-on-one mismatches. And that's what happened in Portland. Ben Simmons took advantage of mismatches. He was doing a great job creating these number advantages, drawing double teams, pulling defenders and absorbing them into him defensively so he can create open shots for his teammates. He did a great job of that. Tobias uh, throughout the Portland game was able to get his on offense. He was able to hit his spots and dominate in the two-man game. Joe as well was able to take Ennis Canner to school. The problem was Portland had an offensive rebounding advantage, which, again, hurt Philadelphia. They had one the last game. And if Philadelphia is not tight on the offensive glass with a player like Ennis Kanter or even Carmelo Anthony, Portland's just going to keep generating second-chance looks and keep Philly tired. And also in the fourth quarter, Melo was hot. He had the hot hand. And the Sixers bench, this was another game where the contributions weren't too great. Uh, Furkan Korkmaz is used in a different role. With Shake Melton out, he's more of a playmaker. He's more of an isolation player, which isn't necessarily Furkan's game. Tyrese Maxey is more handling responsibility. So other guys are called upon more without Shake Melton from the bench. And it's been a little counterproductive for Philly. But this was a good Ben Simmons game. Now, Devin Booker put 17 on Ben Simmons' head, which isn't great. But uh, Ben Simmons did a fantastic job against Portland facilitating. Damian Lillard shot one of five in the fourth quarter where he was mostly defended by Simmons. The entire game, Simmons held him the three of nine from the floor, which is 33%. And Portland as a whole shot six of 19, 
31% against Simmons. He had fly, five deflections, a steal, and a block. Uh, so at the end of the day, I think the Stars have been good on this trip. I think the team is generating the looks they want, but there's a couple of things to tighten up. And if there was any indication that this team needs to clean some holes up that happened on this road trip, Darren Moore is going to see them and he's going to address them. We'll see. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'll leave my judgment for when something is done. We'll, we'll see is what I'll say. Um, I, I do know that they do have eyes on Kyle Lowry. Um, so they're going to be monitoring that situation. But getting back to the Portland game, so you have the the final you know defensive stand of the game for the Sixers, where they over where Tobias is a little bit over over uh, excited to, to see Melo, and Melo trips over his own foot and Tobias and lands and falls into Tobias, and Tobias called for the foul. Did you think that Doc should have used a, a challenger? I mean, he could have, and, and that's been the criticism of Doc this year. It's that he's refusing to challenge anything. Um, but I do think the last play of the game was was pretty disappointing for Philadelphia. I thought Ben generated a great look. He clamped up and then generated a great three-point look for Tobias, and you want that look every time. With the game on the line, uh, you want it from three in the hands of either Tobias, Seth, or Danny. So Ben displaced the defense in transition, got Tobias that look. He missed. He couldn't capitalize. Now on the last play of the game, you have a shot opportunity, and I just think the play developed slowly. So – Tobias got – I think it was a pin down. He came around the pin down, and because it just developed so slowly, Covington was able to just sit back and uh, kind of get a hand on that pass and, and deflect it. So Philadelphia, in an opportunity where you most definitely need a shot just to determine the outcome of the game, they, they couldn't generate that look, uh, which is disappointing. But nonetheless, you move on. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I don't remember how many timeouts they had left, but I think they had just one. Mm-hmm. After, that, after that foul was committed. So, I mean, I understand what happened because, like, Doc was really sure that they were going to lose that challenge. And so he says – he told, so I, I asked him about it after the game. And he, he was like, well, if we, call, if we challenge that there, we lose this timeout, and then we got to go the full length of the court in three seconds, yeah. which honestly <laughs> might have been a better look than what they got anyway because what they got was, ended up being That's a right. turnover. And everyone was just crucifying that play. But, I mean, I'm looking at it from, like, a logistical standpoint – Number one, the Blazers know you have no timeouts left. They're very aware of the situation. Three seconds left in the game. You got no timeouts left. They know all they got to do is pressure the ball and pressure everybody as they move and, and cut off those lanes, and they have the game won. And the Sixers didn't have any timeouts left. Ben Simmons had no choice or else he's going to turn it over on a five-second violation. So he tosses it into Tobias Harris. So everyone's like, well, he wasn't cutting deliberately enough. And I'm thinking, how can you tell that he wasn't being held back? Like, like, there's a lot of pushing and grabbing and and jersey, you know, holding on on on, the, on those types of plays. The the refs are trying to make sure that the ball gets in and that they have one eye on that, one eye on you know all the off ball action. It's very easy to hide when you're you know getting little cheapies in there and pulling on jerseys and holding guys down. So I mean, it was a turnover. What whatever it happens, um, that's just basketball. That's just like not every ATO is going to be successful. Um, there's a reason that I mean, there, there's there, there's a reason that you, you know, that coaches get make very elaborate ATO plays because they because you need to be elaborate in order to get a good look in a half court setting when a defense has a chance to see what you're setting up as and adjust to it. Um, so I mean, I, I wasn't too mad, or I wasn't too, you know. I thought they, they generally did a fine, uh, okay job, and they just, they just they just got caught. It, it was it was 
it was a tough play and they just didn't, didn't go, didn't go in their favor. Um, now again, that, that second quarter lull, um, I still, I still think it's problematic. And we saw that more in, in this game as well, even though they came back to take the lead, they're still like, they were up, they were tied and then they were down eight again real fast. And then Joel comes in and has a dominant close the second half and put in the second quarter and puts him up by three. But the overarching theme of all this is when when you have the lineups that are Tobias, Dwight, Thibel, Furkan, and whoever else, the best shots they're getting a lot of times are like Furkan step back threes, the third Furkan isolations, or Dwight Howard free throws. That's literally some of the best options they're getting is Dwight Howard free throws. It tells you how bad the the the, ben's, the second unit is right now. Thibel, he's lucky if he makes a three now. Um, he has no confidence really from beyond the arc, um, and they just don't move. They don't pass. They don't move. And it's just kind of like ridiculous and it's silly. It's like the it, the only way they're going to generate open looks is if they actually move with passion, and the ball's not in their hands. And if they and if they swing the ball and get it on both sides of the court. Eventually, you're going to pull someone out of position, and that's going to open up a window of opportunity for you. So, I just think that like it 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 shouldn't be nearly as hard as what they're making it out to be on that second unit. Well, what I think the the problem with the second unit is that you got to understand roles. So, with the Sixers starting five, you've got Seth Curry, who can dribble off ball or not dribble. He can dribble the ball. He can move off ball. The Sixers can run plays for him where he can get the ball into his hands and then go to work downhill. He can shoot. He can facilitate. He could drive. So Seth alone could do that. Tobias can do that. Ben could do that a little bit uh, just in terms of the playmaking and facilitating. Ben's got a post-up game. Joe is the undertaker. You go one-on-one with him, you're going to die. He's going to kill you. Um, But with the second unit, there's not so much of that. There's not so much of that playmaking. There's not so much of that facilitating. There's not so much of that, that that dribble penetration driving leading to other shots or individual layups. So what Doc's been doing with the second unit is relegating them to roles where Dwight is the predominant screener. He might sprinkle in a play or two just to get Maz an open look or get Tyrese Maxey in a space. But really they're taking everything the second unit does and breaking it down into a two-man game, into a three-on-three. So that way – your ball handlers like Shake, like Tyrese Maxey, like Quirkmaz can use the screen, navigate, navigate around it and hit a spot or get downhill. But there really isn't a player like Trey Burke on that second unit where you can give them the ball, they can isolate and go cook something up. Where they, they can run the two-man game and get other players involved. It just doesn't happen as often with the sixth or second unit. So they did a good job earlier in the year just holding, just protecting leads, maybe expanding them slightly. But on this road trip, the six or second unit has sacrificed a lot of leads that the starters are giving them. And that's where games are won or lost. So take the Phoenix game, for example, I already said this, but if you go to your bench with a two, three point deficit, and now your starters are coming back in with a 10 point deficit, that's completely different because now they've got eight minutes left in the fourth to try to make up for that 10 point gap and then take a lead. So the game is way harder. If you go to your bench and your bench isn't protecting or expanding leads. So what I genuinely think will take the Sixers team to the next level is if you get a couple of those guys where they can capitalize when Giannis isn't on the floor, when Katie or Harden aren't on the floor, 
when LeBron isn't on the floor, when Dame's not on the floor. Because if you have that, your starters just check back in with a lead. And they check back in with the game closer than an eight, 10 point deficit. Yeah. And I, I, I think like number one, like I think again, if you have shaken that game, there's someone to get downhill and like put some pressure on the rim, get to a spot where he's comfortable and just create off the dribble and give Dwight Howard like a role in in the pick and roll, like give him a job where it, it's just like a simplified thing for him. I think that would help so much. And I think I think not having shake is 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 something that you can't be downplaying. Um but also with with Dwight there's always a ton of traffic in the lane because there's always somebody who's sagging off of him for the sake of protecting the rim because they know he's not a threat. So, I mean, I, I, I just think, like, number one, you can play him and Ben together. But to, to their credit, they haven't been doing as much anymore. Um, but it's just, like, it's remarkable how the offense just completely stagnates. And Doc said it himself on Saturday. The defense isn't good enough. To, to to not be to, to not be very good to, to be this bad on offense and get away with it um they, they don't defend well enough on that second unit so you know i i think if they like were to and we'll talk about this too but if they were to acquire say like george hill or bell and Wright, um that could help just just to get some organization and some flow and to define some structure for that for that second unit offense without having to have like Ben or Joel on the court to bet to to always have a place to run it through and bail them out would be so helpful for them. Um, but you know, I, I I I there were some like positives from that Portland game. Number one, I think Ben is continuing to get way more aggressive now. Um, I think it helps that he's getting close to All Star time where it's make a break for him, so he's trying to round up all the all the stats he can before he uh, before too late. Which I don't blame him. I mean, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever. Listen, he's got no interest in going to the All Star game. I don't know if it makes his. I don't know if it makes his pockets any deeper, which probably doesn't matter because he's Forbes thirty out of thirty. But he wants to be sitting at home chilling, playing his video games with his dog. He has no interest in going there. LeBron doesn't want the game. Uh, who else talked about it? I don't even know. Anthony Edwards, I think, talked about it. There's a couple of people that 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 were vocal about the All Star game. They don't even want to play it. Because we all know Anthony Edwards is gonna is a lock to be an All Star this year, right? Oh, yeah, no, he's having a good year. He's not a lock for the All Star, obviously, but I don't I think, think it was Anthony weird. Edwards. It might have been, I might be confusing him with Donovan Mitchell. Somebody was talking about the All Star game uh, in a negative. Oh, it was De'Aaron Fox? Yeah, <laughs> Anthony Edwards is horrible right now. It's not horrible. He's shooting below forty percent from the. He's on the Minnesota Timberwolves. Give him, give him an opportunity. I think, I think all, all the, all the young. He was my number two overall pick. I like him a lot, um, but I mean, he he just has a long way to go before he's an effective NBA player. Like right now, he's like Wiggins in a sense, super athletic, weird shot selection, but. Oh. You know, um, let's go over to the Phoenix game. And so obviously Booker goes off. I thought they actually did a really good job early in that game with Booker because they, they were giving him different looks on the defensive end of the court. They started off, they were like, they were just blitzing him in the pick and roll with, with, with Joe and Ben. And, um, 
you know, they, they were really doing a good job of that. And he started out, I think, like one of eight or something like that. One of seven, one of eight. And the, the Sixers, you know, really like took control of the game early in the first quarter. But they also let him get hot with the different looks. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of just took off from there. He had 36 points total. Um, he hits that 40-foot dagger late in the game um, to put the Suns up permanently. And, you know, I, I, I that was a game where, like, it felt like a loss. Even though, even though like they were they they hung in it pretty much all game. I mean, the Suns are just w- wicked athletic. They shoot the ball really well. They have a, a dynamic backcourt, and I thought Sharich and and Drum and uh, not Drummond, Aiton did a really good job. Um, you know, the, the Aiton doesn't defend that well, but he's a he's, he's a presence on the boards. Um, he can score it. And Shar is just is like is, is always there. He's an energy an energizer bunny type, and that that some teams are a really good team. I, I think they're a good team. They are, but the, the the game script really dictated what happened in the second half of this game. Uh, early Philadelphia was fine offensively. Uh, there was a couple of misses, but they got the looks they wanted, and that's the most important thing with this Philly team. If if that's what their system is. If their offense is going to be built upon this bully ball attacking mismatches, you want to look for those looks every night. And Philly got those looks. But Phoenix was just able to throw counter punches by getting dribble penetration and scoring in the paint. That's where almost 50% of their 120, whatever the number was, points came from. It was 46% exactly. So if you want to look at the numbers, and film also justifies this too, the game came down to the bench scoring. Because both teams turned the ball over 13 times, basically the same points off of turnovers for each team. Philly had a rebounding advantage. They took 16 more free throw attempts, and both teams only made two threes at half. Phoenix ended with only three made threes more than the Sixers. There was a plus 16-point differential in points in the paint. How many did they attempt, though? What's that? How many threes did the Suns attempt? I don't know. Why does that matter if they only made three more? It doesn't even matter. The The ball only went in the basket three more times. And at halftime, they both only had two. So it wasn't like Phoenix created separation on the scoreboard there at halftime. But if you look at the bench scoring, the Sixers minus garbage time only put up 15 points off the bench. Dario Sarge alone had, had more points yeah. than the Sixers' entire bench minus garbage time, 47 for Phoenix altogether. And like I said, they blew a lead in the first half and they pushed a three-point deficit to 10 in the second half. So they're putting their starters in a bad position. And what I think happened with Ben Simmons, he only took one attempt in the second half, is that he went to that primary facilitator role. Doc Rivers said it would be detrimental towards the Sixers if Ben just focused on his scoring and not the floor game. He only has four assists, only two are made threes. So Ben probably sees the Sixers only have two threes at halftime. Joe's going to need somebody to carry the load. So Ben's going to get his teammates involved. I'm going to get them threes. I'm going to absorb the defense, whatever. And he did that, but unfortunately, Philadelphia couldn't capitalize. They missed a lot of open shots, and because of it, Philadelphia lost. But I really think the biggest concern to take out of this game, not on offense, um, is the defense. Their defense was terrible in terms of letting Phoenix just get whatever they wanted. So the same way Philly got whatever they wanted all game, Phoenix did the same exact thing. Phoenix dribble penetrated. They beat guys with speed off the edge, and they just got any looks they wanted. Chris Paul was killing the Sixers with their pick-and-roll coverage. He manipulated Joe back there and, and, and Dwight. 
So Phoenix, they, they, they had a great game, but Philadelphia, they've got to tighten up defensively. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I just, I just kind of thought like, number one, their three point volume is absolutely a problem. And in that game, it was certainly a problem. They had, I think 14 threes attempted through three quarters in that game. They made, I think five through that, that first three quarters. Um, they they don't attempt enough threes. They don't. I mean, and, well, I, and, I, and I understand like the like Embiid's post ups from the high post and battling and bullying and Tobias is bullying and Ben getting to the paint. That all works because they're like two of the three are very effective at it. But I need like, you need more out of Danny Green. You just do. You need you you need you need him to make you know, more of his open looks. You need Tobias Harris to, 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 to attack those open opportunities more. Uh, Seth to make more of those looks. I just think right now, like, they're making it hard for themselves to maintain pace with opponents in terms of shot attempts because opponents are just shooting more threes. And even if they're not making them, attempting them puts you in a position to make them because you can't make them without attempting them. So I've seen this this discourse on Twitter for the past couple of days, I, I really don't think Philadelphia's three-point volume is the concern. But I think you're right. They need to make more of those open looks. That's the concern. The volume doesn't bother me. Because, like I've said, you need to understand how this offense is built. They're literally built for attacking mismatches and creating number advantages. So the Sixers want to get the ball down to Joe so he can get to his spots and bully the mismatch. They want to do the same for Ben and for Tobias. They're not a team like the Warriors or like Sacramento that's going to run and gun and, and try to generate threes. They're trying to bully opponents, and it works because they lead the league in free throw attempts and personal fouls drawn. They have enough spacing. The spacing is there, and they can give Joe, Ben, and Tobias these looks all game. So if they have the spacing, the three-point shooting doesn't really matter to me, the volume, I should say but the Sixers need to capitalize on those opportunities when Joe, when Ben, when Tobias rely on their teammates. So I'd say Ben, Tobias, Joe in, in the post or in their spots will probably make, I don't know, they'll convert six out of 10 opportunities on most nights. They'll, they'll go about 50, 60% from the field on most nights. So on those four, five, six other opportunities, you can't have the offense stall out. You can't have turnovers, which lead to points for the other team. You can't have teams just take the ball away. You need to capitalize on those opportunities. So if a team throws a double at you and you actually want teams to understand that if you double Joe, if you double Ben, if you double Tobias, we're going to score. If you don't, we're going to score. In order for teams to respect that, the other Sixers need to hit their shots. I think Seth is going to be just fine. I'm completely fine with Danny Green but I think his role needs to be upgraded. Uh, when I say that, I think they need a player that can do what Danny Green does, but a little better than Danny Green. And in terms of Tobias, I think Tobias has been phenomenal. The Sixers need that third bucket getter, and he's been that consistently. Uh, he scored 20-plus points on at least 50% plus shooting in, in over 10 games. Philadelphia has won over nine of those games. And in at least three games this year, they've gone to number 12 for a game-winning bucket. They did it against LA. They did it against Portland. And, and I'm failing to remember, but they, they definitely did it another time or two. So 
Uh, Tobias has been everything that the Sixers have needed. I think they, I think Tobias closed closed out the Indiana game. Yeah, that's the game I was going to say. Indiana. I think he had four buckets in the fourth quarter uh, with Ben out of the game before he came in. But nonetheless, Tobias has been everything that Philly needs. So right now, they just need to capitalize on those opportunities when Ben, when Joe, when Tobias don't have that bucket six out of ten times. Yeah, and I mean, so. I'm not saying I want them to jack or that they need to jack recklessly. Like last year, they were there were there were times where it made no sense. They were forcing threes up all over the place, and it was horrible because like the other other team wasn't scoring, but the Sixers weren't calling back into it or taking control because they were taking these ridiculous threes. But like if 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 Joe gets doubled and he passes out to Tobias, and Tobias has some space, I don't need like a like a pump fake and then attack the closeout for a 17 foot jumper. Like I, I just, I don't think that's efficient. Just take the three, take the open three when it comes to, I, I think that and even, even I asked Danny Green about it after the game on Saturday and he, and he was like, yeah, it's a problem. We have to move the ball more. And I think the more you move the ball, the more you'll get those open looks because defenses can't hold steady and firm in you know, throughout the course of an entire game when you're moving the ball and really putting pressure on them to rotate. And eventually those looks are going to open themselves up. You have to be patient for it. Um, now, before we get into some trade ideas and some trade talk, we are going to um, you're going to read about another sponsor of ours. That's Thrive Fantasy. Uh, your let me see here. Come hashtag prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They've eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes and respective sport. NFL season just came to an end. The Buccaneers are your champions. Um, But during that season, choose 10 out of the 20 player prop options to build your lineup. If it's NBA, I know Major League Baseball is coming back soon. PGA, or even eSports. Choose five out of the ten player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood of occurrence. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. It's that simple. Use promo code SIMMONS for three. That's SIMMONS, the word four, F-O-R, three, the number three, SIMMONS for three. When you sign up today and you will receive an instant deposit match up to $50 on your first deposit of $20 or more. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and hashtag prop up today. (laughs) All right. Now we get back to some – to some trade talks. Um, let's see. Ooh, new breaking news about Anthony Davis. He Good or be, bad. Don't tell me if it's bad. He will be out. He, he will be reevaluated re- in two to three weeks. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't and, know. I mean, it's better. It's apparently he suffered a calf strain. So I, I think it's better than the worst case scenario. But um, anyway, it's still not great for them. Um, so today, Jason Dumas, I think I think he follows you on Twitter, doesn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. you get, JD follows you. Um, he breaks that George that the Sixers have inquired about George Hill and Dellen Wright. Um, what do you What do you make of that? Who do you Who do you think? Who would you rather trade for? Who would I rather trade for between those two? Um, 
that's tough. I, I I've liked Wright for a long time, so I'm just gonna stall and, and not give you an answer here. I'm gonna tell you why they're both really good candidates to trade for. <laughs> Um, but I, I've liked Wright for a really long time, even when he's out in Dallas and they had all that depth. I thought he would be a really good low-maintenance ad for Philly. Uh, but I think both players are really good players, and depending on their roles, they can be really high upside players. But at worst, just low-floor, low-maintenance players. Now, Wright is having a really good year out in Detroit, one of his best. I think he's coming off of consecutive 80-plus steal seasons. He can uh, attack downhill. He can defend and he can spread the ball. So he's everything you'd want at that point guard, shooting guard position. And I think for Philadelphia, one of those subtle changes that I keep alluding to is upgrading Tyrese Maxey's role. Now, I like Maxey, but he, he may not completely fill out his body entirely this year. And, and that may be a problem defensively for Philly. So if they can upgrade Tyrese Maxey's role off the bench with somebody like Wright, that'd be huge. Now, George Roll or George Roll, George Hill is a little different. Because he's a guy, I mean, he he led the league in three-point shooting percentage last year. And he's a guy that kind of understands his role in playing with these Giannis Antetokounmpo, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid-type forces. So George Hill I could potentially see starting on some nights. You can plug him into a multitude of different combinations. So he's versatile. You can stick him at two, three, four different spots. And for a team like Philadelphia that plays positionless, if you can add a guard, that can score punches off the dribble, but also shoot the three ball at a really high clip, it's obviously going to be beneficial. So between the two of them, I don't really care who they get because I think both are an upgrade. Yeah, I – well, I think it's very easy to well, – not 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 for you necessarily, but for me, to very easy to remember the Detroit game where he dropped like 30 on the Sixers. Yeah. And that was like, okay, this guy's, this guy's pretty good. Um George Hill is just, just like such a solid veteran um, and a really just a seamless fit. He's a high IQ guy, um, very well respected around the league. I think he would be a great addition to this team just because he would be able to provide some structure and some sort of uh, like lieutenancy. That's not a word, but yeah, <laughs> I feel like they already have that though. With, 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 this isn't the Brett Brown Sixers. They got Doc and, well, no, no, no. I, I, what I, what I mean is like, I, I, they, I think he would add some structure to that second unit of like, hey, this is how we're going to run the offense. This is what I think we should do. This is what you get. Or, this is the spot you need to be in. Um, for Congo to the corner, I want Dwight setting a high pick and roll. Everybody rotate around and follow the lead. You know that like that. I think that would be do wonders for them. I also think that you can play him in some small ball lineups then playing more like a big man role and you can put George Hill at like two or, or like the one of the two. So I think he'd be a good fit there, but I think the difference is like Oklahoma City's I think 11 and 15 and Detroit is seven and 20 or seven and 19, whatever it is. One team is firmly in the Western playoff picture or at least fighting for it. The other is well out of the East. So I think, I think it might be harder to acquire George Hill than it is to acquire uh, Delvin Wright. Um, I don't you know. know. I, I that there I actually disagree because come on, OKC is not in the playoff hunt. I mean, Dallas is really underperforming, but come on, OKC is not looking for a playoff berth. They've been stop stockpiling picks and assets for the entire year. So I think you, you call Sam Presti, 
you offer a couple of seconds, maybe an expiring contract. That probably gets it done. Detroit, however, they opened their pockets. They, they signed Alon Wright over the offseason. And listen, Detroit may be rebuilding, but it's not an ugly rebuild. Detroit is competitive. They're giving teams a lot of good games. Sadiq Bey, just one player of the week, I think. Uh, Sadiq Bey, Villanova pride. He's been having a really good week. And altogether in the season, he's just coming to his own. Uh, so I, I think Detroit would actually give Philadelphia probably a harder time than OKC would. And Detroit also just traded Derrick Rose away for Dennis Smith Jr. and some compensation. So maybe they're rolling with the line right. Maybe that's a signing that, that they think is, is going to be significant for them in the future. But I think George Wright could be had for less than maybe uh, DeLon Wright would. But do you say George Wright? Do I, I keep messing George Hill's name up. I call him George Roll, George Wright. Um, but, yeah, there's that. And, and, and I think people really also got to pay attention to the buyout market. Because right now things are getting, I guess, a little hot with Detroit – or not Detroit, with Toronto and Cleveland uh, with Andre Drummond. And you have to assume that if, if Cleveland and De- Toronto want to make that trade, maybe Kyle Lowry's involved. If Cleveland is trading, maybe that they got to clear money up. Who knows? Maybe they buy Kevin Love out. Maybe J.J. Reddick gets bought out. Who knows? Uh, there's, there's a whole host of things that could happen. So you might want to pay attention to the buyout market too. Yeah, I think that also that brings a point like you're going to want to watch for a consolidation trade. They got a lot of like dead rocks. They have Terrence Ferguson. They have Tony Bradley. They have Vincent Poirier um, amongst other, you know, amongst some other guys that I think are not getting, obviously not getting much burn. Might look to do a consolidation trade, bring in one piece that really is is worth it. Um, And then, you know, look at the buyout market when that becomes alive again. Um, but I, you know, I, I think the interesting part is like I, I was playing with the trade machine today. There's really no easy path to acquire either. Neither fits into a trade exception. Um, the, like, like you would have to, you have to add a couple pieces to any package like um, Terrence Ferguson or Vincent Poirier or other picks to make, to make it worth it. And even then it's like pretty close because, George Hill and, and uh, uh, Dallin Wright are, are still like, very productive players. So we'll see. Um, maybe there's a third team involved there. Maybe they do a consolidation trade and ask for some picks and returns. That way they can flip those over another trade. Um, we'll certainly see. But, Brock, where can they find your work? On YouTube first, Brock Landis. On Twitter right here on YouTube, you just want to switch that around. So it's Brock Landis. I don't know. We're at like nine – 9.10, 9.40. I don't know what the total is. I checked this morning, but we're uh, close to 1K on YouTube for, for subscribers. So go check my YouTube out. Lob me a sub. If you haven't, check my partner's workout, Austin Krell. Uh, but if you want to find me on Twitter, it's Landis Brock. On YouTube, is Brock Landis. That's right. You can find Brock posting all kinds of stats that I don't even know exist. Um, so neither do I sometimes. I just pull them, th- pull them out of thin air. All right. Um, you can find me on Twitter at MBA Krell. Cover the Sixers on the beat for the painted lines. You can also catch me now on the occasional radio show guesting from time to time. Um, I, this, Greg, this, I heard this, it. I, this, I, I tapped in. I tapped in. This past weekend I was on 97.5. That was pretty cool. Um, you can also find me on consistently on the on the TPL YouTube channel as well. 
uh, chiming in for some of the pregame shows and then our podcast there as well. You can subscribe to us on Apple Pods at the Feed to Embiid. We're also on SoundCloud as well. And um, we hope you post all of our videos of our pods to the Painted Lines YouTube. We'll also be out soon on Twitter. You'll see me post that. As always, we appreciate you joining in. Please rate, subscribe. No, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Pods. We always appreciate that. He is Brock Landis. I am Austin Krell. Take care, everybody. Have a good President's Weekend. Finish finish your day out strong. And we'll see you next time for another episode of The Feed to Embiid.